The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. So as you endure hostility, the writer of Hebrews says, think about the hostility that Christ went through when he endured hostility. And today is Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, we remember the, that special day where Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem. It's called his triumphant entry uh, as royalty. The scripture said that the Messiah would do this, and he did exactly what the scripture said. He rode in on a donkey, which was what royalty did. And in recognition of this royalty, the people cheered, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were recognizing him as the the son of David who would come, and they laid palm branches down in his path. And so we, we remember this, and we call it Palm Sunday, to remember that wonderful day where Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, as a triumphant entry. But what do we know happened with that same crowd, just uh, not too long later, that same week, they betray him, they turn on him. And so for us, Palm Sunday begins the Passion Week, begins the week that we remember his suffering, which is the text I was reading earlier when the battery was out was... 12.3, he says, consider the, the suffering that Jesus went through. And that's what we do this week. We, we prepare our hearts for Easter by considering the suffering that he endured uh, as he entered into his, uh, his Passion Week leading up to the cross. Uh, when I think about that, I, I go to the text of scriptures in Matthew. And in Matthew 27, 27 through 31, we read this. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe around Jesus. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it, in, put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him. And then they took the reed that they had placed in his right hand and they began to beat him on the head with it. And after they mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off of him and they put his own garments back on him and they led him away to crucify him. And so the Passion Week remembers and considers deeply the the suffering that Jesus endured And we know from last week that it was as he looked forward to the joy that was set before him, the joy of reconciling his people to himself. He knew, I have got to go through the pain and the suffering and lay down my life as the sacrifice for their sins because this is the only way that sinful humanity can be reconciled to God. The joy that was before him, the joy of knowing the results knowing that it would bring his people to himself, that it would enable them to be reunited with with him. That was the joy that he had in mind as he went through the suffering of laying his life down for our sins on the cross. And all throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer has been exhorting us to remain faithful, to, to, to stay faithful, to stay in faith, to not give up as we endure our suffering that the Lord has set before us, to, to, to not throw away our confidence or our faith, to not give up because we know that on the other end of the suffering, there is great reward that God has in store for us. 
In Hebrews 12, 4 through 11, our text today, the author continues this same theme of don't give up in the middle of the suffering. And so in verse 4, we read the text that we're looking at today. He says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Let me stop there for a second. In other words, he's saying, listen, think about what Jesus did and you're nowhere near that. You haven't shed blood for the name of Christ yet. And then he continues, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And then he quotes Proverbs. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all of you have become takers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. Now all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Father God, we ask that you will teach us from your word this morning that the Holy Spirit will give us understanding. I pray that everyone here knows that it's not just an exercise of me talking to them, but that we pray that, Lord, this is a spiritual transaction where you work in our hearts to give us understanding and humility. You make us teachable. You work in our hearts and places deep in our soul as we search your scriptures. And it's in Christ that we ask these things. Amen. So we, we know that the writer of Hebrews has been talking about endure, keep the faith, endure in suffering, endure in tribulation. And the writer is writing to some Hebrews who had clearly been going through suffering themselves. Listen to what he said in 1032 a few chapters ago. He says, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. And so after you came to faith, you started suffering, he says, partly by being made public spectacles through reproaches and tribulations. Partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised." We're not like those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul, he says. So he's saying to the Hebrew listeners, the ones he wrote the letter to, listen, you guys have suffered since you trusted Christ. And the people have persecuted you. They've mocked you. They've made fun of you. They've seized your property. They've thrown you in prison. And if not you, you suffered because you ministered to those who were going through that. And he's been saying, listen, remember Your confidence is in the unseen realities that God has revealed. And that's what he defines faith as. Faith is being sure of the unseen reality, convinced of those things as being true. 
And those things, knowing what lies ahead through the, the pain of the suffering, knowing what the results are, is how you endure, how you stay the course, how you keep the faith, how you keep running and you don't give up and you don't turn your back on the faith. And today he says, that, that's no different. The message here is very similar, but he says, let's think about suffering and pain and persecution through the eyes of faith. Now, the immediate context of this passage is consider Jesus and the suffering he endured. And, and he's talking to people, in he, the Hebrew listeners, who, who were being persecuted because they trusted Christ. And so as we talked about this text this week, I think we, we realize the challenge of seeing the relevance of this text if we're thinking strict, strictly in terms of being persecuted for Christ. I mean, think about it. How many of us, when you hear we're talking about the fact, we're going to, the message today is all about knowing how to endure persecution for the name of Christ. How many of us just say, yeah, I'm being persecuted for the name of Christ. Not many of us. And as we thought about it, that we, we were kind of wrestled with the strain that, that I want to I raise the strain and let you take that strain home with you and wrestle with it yourself. Why aren't we suffering for the name of Christ? Why aren't you being persecuted intentionally because of your stance of Christ? It's one of two things. Either we are very blessed to live in a community of faith that does not persecute Christians for the most part. And that's probably part, that's a massive part of it. But I think we need to ask the tough question. Do you stand for Christ? Do people know you as a Christian? Are you taking Jesus in places where Jesus is not necessarily welcome? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you representing him with your life? Are the choices you're making just shining a light in dark place? I think both are true, if we're honest. That, yes, we live in a place that is probably the friendliest place on planet Earth for Christians. And that's not an exaggeration. 98% of people, the last survey I read, in Shreveport claim to be Christ followers. So there's... I'm not saying go, go create persecution opportunities for yourself. I'm thankful for that gift. But at the same time, I think we also know that we resist standing out too much for Jesus because we don't want to be persecuted. So take that question home with you, if nothing else, and ask, am I reflecting Christ or not? Is that why I'm not suffering? But in the text today, he gives us how faith views persecution in particular, but we can apply it to how faith views um, difficulty or adversity or suffering in general. So when we come to this text, the writer of Hebrews is saying, when you are persecuted for Christ, or when you face adversities in life, or when you suffer, here's how faith views it. Here's how you should think about it so that you will endure to the end. The first thing we see in verses 5 and 6 is the perspective on persecution. 
Look at verse 5. He says, and you have forgotten, that's literally translated, you have completely forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Then he quotes Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So here the author quotes Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12, and he accuses them as having completely forgotten what the scriptures said. Notice what he's doing. When you go through persecution or adversity or when you're suffering, your emotions are just about all you can hear. Your emotions lie to you. Your emotions make you want to say everything that you once knew is is not to be trusted anymore. And he's saying, you've completely forgotten what the scripture says to you. And he's saying, don't do that when you go through suffering, adversity, or persecution. Don't forget what the scripture says. And then he says, remember, the scriptures was addressed to you in a very relational manner. He says, remember, he dressed you as sons. The language is very relational. It's a father-son, a mother-daughter, a parent-child relationship. And so he's not just saying, remember the scriptures. He's saying, remember, in the scriptures, God calls you his son. God looks at you as his child. And he's not going to get real technical in in the text. I kept wanting... I kept wanting the writer to to really technically deal with things, but he doesn't do that. He just says, remember this. God loves you. What happens when you suffer? What happens when you're persecuted? What happens when you face adversity? One of the first things your emotions say is, maybe God doesn't love me. And he says, you remember what the scripture says. Don't listen to your emotions. Listen to the scriptures. Faith remembers and believes the unseen realities. You can't see it right now when you're going through persecution, but God has said in his word, I love you like like the perfect father loves the child. Some of us don't have perfect fathers, and you have to say, well, I don't know what that feels like. Well, go to the word of God and read it. The word of God tells you he is the perfect father who loves you perfectly. So no, he's saying, first of all, when the emotions are screaming at you, trust the word of God more than your emotions. And what the word of God says is God loves you like a father. And then he says something very interesting. He says, this is like a father disciplining his child. For a father to discipline his child, we immediately think negative connotation, don't we? We immediately think time out, punishment. The word discipline in the English language, I think, has a much more negative connotation than what the text is saying. What the text is saying is that when you see suffering and you experience suffering and and you experience adversity and you experience straight-up persecution for the name of Christ... He says, think about this. God is is interacting with you as a father and a mother nurtures their child. Training, nurturing, disciplining, teaching, instructing, correcting, rebuking 
All of that spectrum of meaning is packed into the word that he uses there that we translate discipline. But it's much more than just punishment. It's nurturing. It's training. It's what a good, loving father does with his son. He says, I'm going to get invested in their life. I'm going to train them and teach them and nurture them and help them understand I'm going to get involved so they know how to think about these things because I have a goal. I'm going to do this during their adolescence, their their child and adolescence years, so that when they're out of my house, they are adults, healthy, happy, functioning adults. He's saying, when you hurt, when you're persecuted, when you suffer, that's where you should go in your mind is that God loves me and God is nurturing and instructing and correcting and blessing me so that I can be healthy. That certainly requires faith, doesn't it? So he says, the first thing I want to do is tell you the perspective on persecution through the eyes of faith, and that is God loves you. Now, as you think about this, Think about the great example. He's already said the pioneer of our faith, which is Jesus. Anyone doubt that God loved Jesus? And what happened to Jesus? It wasn't all Palm Sunday. It was persecution. It was mockery. It was them spitting on him. It was them mocking him with a crown. Oh, you're king of the Jews? Well, let me give you your crown. And it was shoving three-inch nails into his head. It was painful. It was bloody. It was brutal. God loved Jesus. But he had purpose. He had a greater purpose for the pain that he was going through. He had joy on the other side of the suffering. He had your good in store for his pain. If anybody could have questioned the love of God, it would have been Jesus. But the people who were the beneficiaries of his suffering should never question his love. So he says, I love you. I have good in store for you. In fact, when you finish Hebrews 12, and the whole point of Hebrews 12 has been, you need to endure the suffering by faith. The next book is James. James 1 and 2. Listen to James 1 verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. What? Why would I consider that joy? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces the endurance I was just talking about in Hebrews. How do you endure by faith? You endure the trials and the trials produce endurance. It's, why, it's like running. The only way to get better at running is to keep running. Keep going through it and you get better at going through it. And so the writer of James says... The same thing that Hebrews is saying, that consider all joys when you go through these trials because it produces endurance, it perfects you so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
And so that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. The Lord loves you like a perfect father loves his son. And the Lord is nurturing you so that you will be healthy and happy and a blessed adult for your Christian life. So this is the perspective that we need to have as we think about persecution in particular or adversity and suffering in general. Faith says what God said is true. What I'm feeling is a lie. So perspective on persecution. Next in verse 7 and 8, he gives us a, a step further and he says the necessity of persecution. He says the necessity of persecution. Look at verse 7 and 8. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Listen to verse 8. But if you're without discipline, if you're without nurturing, if you're without training, if you're without instruction, if you're without these things, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. So what he says is, is it's the nature of the relationship of father-son necessitates the nurturing, necessitates the instruction, necessitates the discipline. The fact that you are a child of God necessitates that God nurture you, God train you, God instruct you. He's saying it's, it's a necessity. What if I were to tell you, I didn't teach my kids how to brush their teeth, I didn't teach my kids how to brush their hair and get dressed. And I didn't, I didn't teach them what to expect on their first day of school. I didn't, I, matter of fact, I didn't even expect them or require them to go to school. I didn't tell them they had to study. I didn't teach them to read or write. I didn't teach them that they had to do anything. I didn't tell them they couldn't play in the street. I didn't correct them when they got near the street or when they pressed those boundaries. I didn't discipline them. I didn't train them. I didn't instruct them. I didn't. What would you want to say right there? I didn't love them. He's saying the very nature of the relationship is defined by such nurturing. You don't think that I'm a great father for, for not doing these things for my children. You think I'm an absent father. You think that I'm an illegitimate father or they're an illegitimate child. And so instead of the pain and the suffering and the, the, the difficulty and, and the, the persecution creating within us a doubt of God's love, it should cause us to, to re reaffirm in our heart, yes, he does Love me, especially, we see this most clearly with direct persecution for standing up for the name of Christ. What, what, if, what if someone had my, my daughters are probably like, oh my goodness, stop talking about us. Sorry, the whole sermon, the whole text is father, son, all right? So, so what if you have my child over for dinner at lunch today? And the discussion of church comes up and someone at the table says, I didn't like that sermon. Matter of fact, I don't like that pastor. Uh, my daughter's going to be like, oh, excuse me, you're talking about my dad. 
And what if it just got ugly and they got in a big brawl fighting over me because my child stood up for me? When my daughter walks away from that fight with a bloody nose and she's hurting, she's going, she's not doubting that she's my child. It affirms the fact that we have a relationship. She suffered for my name's sake. How much more with Christ? When you are persecuted, when you are shunned, when you are humiliated, when your friends drop you like a pariah, you are no longer cool, you are no longer in my group because specifically you are a follower of Christ, it should affirm within your heart, praise God, I consider it a joy to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's what the apostles said. That's what the apostles, that's why they could say that. It's because they knew what they were suffering was directly related to their stand for Christ. And that just shows you, I'm standing for Christ, praise God. And I'm suffering for it. But it also can be true of adversity in general and suffering in general. Because we know from the scriptures, he says, I have a great plan for you. It is normative for the Christian in this world because you are not in the final destination. You will suffer. So instead of adversity and struggles causing you to think what is wrong, just know this is part of the plan. And so he tells us the perspective on persecution is it's like a father nurturing his son. And then he says the necessity of persecution, it's necessary. It has to happen. In verse 7, in fact, he says, it is for discipline that you endure. You endure difficulties. You endure adversity for the purpose of him nurturing you in your life. All of us know life hurts. The question is, do you allow it to cause you to doubt the Father's love? Do you lose sight of the fact that God loves you more than you can ever imagine and that it's part of his plan to bless you and nurture you and develop you? It takes faith, that's for sure. Next, in verse 9, we see the response to persecution. The perspective on persecution, the necessity of it, and now the response to it. Verse 9, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. We respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Here the author gives us the proper response to persecution or adversity. He says that we should be subject to it. We should submit to it. We should respect him much in the way a good son respects a good father. And respects him means that he sees him as knowing what's good, knowing what's valuable, and he submits to it and says, what can I learn from this? How can I follow this? And there's two ways that the author says this back in Proverbs chapter 3. He says two things. Don't take lightly the instruction and don't grow weary under the rebuke. And we see that in our kids, right? When we say, hey, you're about to head out. I want, I want to tell you something. When you go out tonight, I want you to think about this. Yeah, whatever. Don't take lightly these instructions. I know what I'm talking about. So that's part of it. Faith 
the, the posture of faith says, the Lord knows what's best. He's the God we read about in Genesis who knows what's best, who gives what's best, who provides it and says, trust me, I know what's best for you. Don't eat, don't eat of the tree of wisdom. Trust, I know what's best. I have all wisdom for your life. So don't take lightly of my instructions. So when we go through difficulty, we go through adversity, when we're being persecuted for our faith, he says, first of all, don't question me, don't rebel against me, receive it as I know this is best for you. And don't grow weary under the discipline. Don't faint, don't give up, don't throw in the towel and say, I'm done. So he's saying the posture of faith when going through difficulties, when going through trials, is one that maintains a humble, teachable spirit. And we, we know what that looks like. We want to say, well, now, what exactly? Could you be more technical? No. You know what that looks like. When a father tries to discipline a child, it's not hard to tell if they have a teachable spirit or not. When a father tries to give instruction, you can tell quickly, does this child see that what I have is of value and as wisdom for their life? I mean, what is childhood? Childhood is thinking the world evolves around me. Has no clue about all this that's out there that they have never seen or experienced or been taught. And what is parenting but getting involved in their life and explaining to them things that they can't see, things that they don't understand. And the difference is the child either receives it and benefits from it and adjusts their life according to the wisdom of their parent or they stiffen their neck and they have a rebellious attitude and it leads to destruction. And the Lord says, that's exactly how you need to think about it when you're going through persecution, adversity, or suffering in general. Trust me, I love you. I'm the all-wise God, he says, and I'm using it for good. What is your posture of faith? Do you have a posture of saying, all right, Lord, teach me? We need to do a heart check today. Is that your posture? Do you have a posture of faith? which is humble and teachable, or do you have a posture of rebellion, of pride, that stiffens your neck and sticks your hand out and say, don't, don't talk to me about this. The writer of Hebrews says, the right response is faith. Be teachable. And whether you are teachable or not, there's two different benefits that you see, the two results. And that leads us to the benefits of persecution. Look at verse 10 through 11, the benefits of persecution. For they disciplined us for a short time, talking about earthly fathers. The earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he, our heavenly father, disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline, understatement of the year, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So here the author explains that those who 
have a posture of faith, those who remain humble and teachable, submit to the Lord's training, and they receive great benefit from it. They are blessed. Those who say, Lord, I need much grace, they find much grace. Those who say, God, I need wisdom, God gives wisdom without finding fault and gives it generously. Those who say, God, I need you, they find God. Those who say, God, walk with me through this difficulty, God comes alongside them. Those who say, God, I have nothing but pain to offer you. He says, I give you everything. They reap the blessings of the difficulty because they're teachable. As a pastor, I have a great privilege to walk alongside a lot of people when they go through difficulty. And I've seen there's two responses. Those who are humble and teachable and cry out to the Lord It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. That's what he says. It doesn't mean faith and Christians don't say, I don't hurt, I don't suffer. That's baloney. It hurts. It's sorrowful. It's painful. But those who in that humility and in that bankruptcy cry out to their father, their spiritual father for grace and mercy and help and strength and all they know is all I need is you. You're my only hope. He gives it without finding fault. And they are blessed. There's a holiness about them afterwards that I get to see that I'm like, man, they know parts of God that I can only read about. They've experienced God's and God, God in ways that I can't even imagine. There is a holiness about them that is the blessing of going through it with God. That's one type of person. The other type of person, instead of being blessed, is bitter. Just bitter to the core. And that is an ugly, ugly sight. And what's the difference? The same sun shines on the same soil, and for one person, it brings a beautiful harvest of holiness, fruit, and for another person, it bakes a bitterness on the dirt. Faith. Faith. Do you believe the unseen realities that have been revealed in the word of God, that he is the sovereign, but he is good and he is loving and he has nothing but good in store for you in and through this. And you realize you are to humble yourselves and receive the training and the nurturing and the wisdom that God has for you in this. And you are teachable and you're crying to God, help me know you help me walk with you teach me your ways and it is producing righteous holiness in your life or are you saying god can't do anything good from this you know our temptation when we're dealing with people who are hurting and suffering and being persecuted to say well let me just tell you one thing god had nothing to do with this do not say that ever again That renders the suffering meaningless. And you talk about depressing. 
God has good in store. I know what we're trying to do. We're trying to protect God. Well, God's not mean. He's not. But that's not the right way to go about it. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But I can tell you this. God will use it for great good in your life if you will humble yourself and seek him. That's the message we have. How do you know Easter Sunday? Look at the cross. What humanity said was the worst, most wicked day of the history of humanity of all mankind. God took and made it the greatest victory for all eternity. And he said, it was for your good that all this happened. So have the right perspective on your own circumstances and trust the Lord. He will bless you and nurture you in and through the pain that you experience. May God give us such faith. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the word that you've provided us that reveals the truth that is so often contrary to our logic, our mind, and our emotions. But help us to have faith by your spirit. Give us faith to believe that in the middle of the persecution and adversity and suffering that you are nurturing wonderful blessings in our life. And I thank you for the people who came after the early service and testified to your faithfulness. How you have blessed them so much for though it's it's not joyful during the time that you're going through it. Afterwards, it does yield a peaceful fruit of righteousness and holiness. And Lord, I am convinced from reading your word and learning your character that those who suffer the most during this short lifetime, lifetime, that those who suffer the most during this short lifetime will love you the most and worship you the most and enjoy you the most for eternity because they will know you better. Lord, I pray that we will have an eternal perspective that everything that we go through in this life, you are using it for our good and for your glory. Just like we see, you used his death on the cross for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.